Are you struggling to believe that there is a purpose for your life? That after all you've been through, seen or done, that there's a chance you'll ever find peace and wholeness again? Welcome to Love and Be Loved. This podcast explores what matters to us the most. Overcoming adversity, success stories on relationships with God, ourselves, and others. Now here is your host, Lena Sibula. I'm so glad for you to listen in today. My guest says, human trafficking is real and happens everywhere. We must be aware, but not panic. Education is the key. And victims of human trafficking are vulnerable and linked to their exploiters via trauma bonds. And as a society, we must understand that. Our special guest today is Kyle Baker. He's a police surgeon in California who specializes in human trafficking investigations. He's a member of Human Trafficking Task Force, a court-certified expert, and teaches human trafficking topics to the police officers, prosecutors, victim advocates, and community groups around the state of California. So guys, if you learning about this topic of human trafficking through TV or social media and would like to know more, this is perfect episode for you. Kyle give us so much clarity and explanation of this crime so we all can get educated and get involved. Welcome, Kyle, to Love and Beloved podcast. Thank you, Lena, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. I believe it's the key time for us all as individuals to educate ourselves about human trafficking and crucial to learn to spot the red flags. You, Kyle, are a perfect candidate for Love and Beloved platform, which is designed to encourage, inspire, and to give hope. I'm so grateful that you have agreed to share your expertise with our audience. I know that people will greatly benefit to be encouraged by the law enforcement's actions against this hideous crime. So please, Kyle, tell us a little bit about yourself and where your journey began. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I think that you provide such an awesome platform for a a variety of issues. I've enjoyed your podcast and, and I couldn't be more happy to be here with you and and all your listeners today. So a little bit about me. I am a police officer in California in the United States. Um, Specifically, I'm in the Bay Area in a city called Pittsburgh. Um, So basically, imagine drawing a, a line between Sacramento, which is our capital, and San Francisco. And we would essentially be right on that line. And that's really important to the work I do specifically with human trafficking because Unfortunately, we're, we're kind of in the epicenter of, of where this is occurring in California, uh, not only both domestically, but internationally as well. So for me, I actually grew up in the city right next door to where I work now. Um, so that has been really nice in the sense that I'm, I'm still involved in giving back to the community that I grew up in, essentially. And uh, I'm very happy to do that. I started my law enforcement journey in in 2010, so this is my 12th year, and I've worked a a variety of assignments over the years, patrol, SWAT, uh, detective, and and a bunch of different awesome stuff um, that I've been very thankful for, but certainly um, I found my passion with human trafficking in in 2016, Um, and if I can, I kind of like to share a little story about that, how that happened. 
Yes, absolutely. So in 2016, I, I was selected as a detective. And at the time, I was selected as a narcotics or drug detective. And I was super excited, right? I mean, we've all watched all the Hollywood movies, all the big drug dealers in the world. And it's like, hey, you know, here we go. Time to go after him, right? Well, after being uh, in that position for a couple of weeks, my boss came to me and was like, hey, Kyle, I got something for you. And I'm like, whew, all right, what, what do we got? He's like, well, it's going to be something different. It's a human trafficking case. And I'm like, a, a what? Like, what? I don't even know what that means. I've heard the word, right? Uh, but my knowledge of it then was, you know, human trafficking. Is that like driving humans around? I mean, I, I don't know what that is. And back in 2016, I think in law enforcement in the United States, the, the pendulum has started to swing in the right direction of understanding human trafficking, understanding victims, but it, it hadn't quite got there yet. So I said, okay, sure. Um, our normal detective that handles that is out for the week. I'll take a look at this case. And what the case was, was a, I believe a 14 or 15 year old girl who was over at juvenile hall at the time. And she was there for a couple other crimes. I believe a battery, a, a stolen vehicle, something along those lines. But her mom had said, had actually called us uh, because she knew somebody that worked here and said, Hey, I think my daughter was pimped that she was trafficked. And so I went over to talk to this young girl and over the next two hour period that I spoke to her, her and I had a good rapport, uh, which as you know, is huge, right? With, with human trafficking victims. And she tells me this story of being picked up by a local gang member, uh, driven around, introduced to a couple of other guys, taken to a hotel uh, where she was asked to do prostitution. Sadly, in that same conversation, she recommended that another one of her friends might want to join. Uh, so that group went and picked that friend up from a, a volleyball practice of all places, sadly. And they were taken back to the hotel. Uh, one of them was provided heroin for the first time ever, which was super sad. Uh, they were enticed to take pictures in lingerie, which were posted online. And long story short, they were at this hotel for this night of commercial sex. I was blown away, right, by a story like that. But I came to find out that that story is not unique. And so in investigating that case, my very first one six years ago, that really lit the fire for me moving forward. And I, I never would have guessed my career would be where it is now. I, I supervise our special investigations unit, uh, which is primarily deals with human trafficking. I'm on a human trafficking task force. I, I teach up and down the state of California. And my entire goal is to rescue victims and hold exploiters accountable. And through the things that I've had successes in, the things I've had failures in, I hope to educate others, both law enforcement and the public, on how we can combat human trafficking. Wow, it's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And is it interesting that you said this story is not unique, but you didn't know about it? So as lots of people as well, that's why I'm, I'm on a mission to share this awareness so people would know. And when you know, you cannot close 
your eyes and see this unrighteousness and and don't take any action it doesn't matter uh what action you can take we're gonna we're gonna actually talk about this little bit later on to help people to not only create awareness but find a way how to participate because more people know about it they want to say me too i want to help i want to help what can i do and you're awesome person to ask about it and i i want to ask you what do you think your unique skills um are that help you to become successful and why i'm asking you this question because i'm thinking you said the victim was honest and open with me and people who has trauma they cannot open up to especially like police officer what do you think help you to become successful with victims to be honest humility mm. and i say that because i know there are times where i have not gotten it right with with police work especially if you you go back a number of years I can full-heartedly say that all the hundreds and hundreds of police officers that I've met uh, over the years, they want to help people. But a lot of times because of our profession, how fast-paced it is, how much going on there is, how many cases stack up and those type of things, we don't take the time to slow down. And and that was something that that I had a problem with for for many years. I wanted to help people I just didn't know how to do it correctly. And one of the biggest things was understanding that and truly learning about victims and trauma and trauma bonds because if I go to a victim and ask the the simple question, are you being trafficked? 99 out of 100 times they're going to say no. <laughs> and for a variety of reasons as you know, they they may not identify as a victim, they may be too scared. They may be scared of law enforcement. The, the, the list goes on. So through that humility, I have found that the most important thing we can do as law enforcement with human trafficking victims is learn from them, learn what their concerns are, validate their concerns, validate the things that they've been through so that we can be there and, and truly help them. Um, and with that, I tell cops all the time, we have to check our egos at the door. We have to learn how to work with victim advocates, with non-government groups. We have to learn how to work with victim services, with survivors, with lawyers and such. So for me, I, I think just understanding that um, I wasn't doing things the right way and learning how to do them and still constantly improving now because you know we still make mistakes i i think this this book is still being written on how to respond to human trafficking so uh, that's definitely i i think uh something that's helped me over time well that's awesome thank you so much for this answer and i would like to talk about common myth and misconception that uh, we have regarding human trafficking but just before that Kyle please define what human trafficking really is so the most basic definition of human trafficking because it can be written differently in different jurisdictions countries states but essentially human trafficking is forcing another person into one of two things one is sex trafficking and the other is forced labor 
So an example of sex trafficking would be if I'm a pimp and I have a commercial sex worker that I make go out and walk what we call a blade, an area where commercial sex workers walk. And I tell her, if you don't do that, I'm going to beat you. And through that, I collect her money and I encourage her, I coach her. That's a, a basic example of human trafficking when it comes to sex trafficking. A basic example of labor trafficking could be I entice somebody from another country, for instance, to come to the United States for, let's call it the American dream. And they come to the United States. I tell them all the good things. Hey, I have this business. I'm going to, you're going to get to work for me. I'm going to pay you. You're, you will, will help you get your documentation to be able to stay here. All good. But then that person sadly comes here. And next thing you know, that exploiter is taking away their uh, passport, taking away their means of communication, and they're forcing them to work 18 to 20 hour days for extremely little pay. So those, those two kind of realms are, are what we live in, uh, especially in the United States when it comes to, to human trafficking. Yeah, and I like to add to that that um, it's commonly taught that the buying and selling of people is something of the past. But in fact, there are more people trafficked today than any time in human history. Absolutely. So, Kyle, what is the common myth about human trafficking that you want to debunk? There's a couple. Um, so f- I think the biggest one is when you hear, not the biggest one, it's one of, I, I would say, three or four. Um, number one, what human trafficking is, is exactly what I just explained. And a lot of times people think that for human trafficking to exist, there has to be movement of people, right? You hear the word traffic, you think, hey, that must mean that somebody's getting taken from point A to B. So like you said, Sadly, horribly, people are being sold all around the world. Some may think that human trafficking only means if I purchase somebody in another country and I have them brought here or in another state and brought here. That's not true. Human trafficking is not synonymous with movement. That's smuggling, right? When we smuggle something, and sadly, that ends up being humans as well, that means that something's being moved or transported or such. So there's there's while there sometimes is movement obviously involved in human trafficking, it's not a necessity. I think there's another huge misconception. So a lot of folks have seen uh, the movies and one comes to mind like Taken. And it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. And, and it basically follows the storyline of a young girl being kidnapped. And when you talk, even here in California, when you talk to a lot of community members and you and you being me, I'll ask them, what do you what do you guys think human trafficking is? Right. And a lot of times they'll be like, well, it's like the movies. It's taken. It's it's somebody being kidnapped and tied up and and used for a variety of reasons. I'm not saying that doesn't using physical force. Right. Right. Think 100 percent. Just basically like there's no way you can traffic somebody by your words or your actions. And and that's not true, as we know. So folks will think that that is the number one scenario of human trafficking is somebody being kidnapped off the streets, physically restrained, and then, you know, sold into the sex trade or forced labor. You and I both know that's not true. Those things, those things happen, right? Sadly, but especially here in the United States, human trafficking is when it comes to sex trafficking, which is what I specifically uh, specialize in, human trafficking is 
pimping another individual, right? So I'm taking money from somebody else's commercial sex work. And in some way, at least here in California, I'm depriving their liberty. So I'm, I'm beating them. I'm tricking them. I'm coercing them. I'm offering them hopes and dreams that aren't coming true. So I, I, ne- I don't want to ever skip over and say that there are horrible things that happen, like people being kidnapped and such, but it, it's not, at least here in the U.S., that's not the commonality that we see. And then I guess the last thing is a, a, a something we hear all the time, and, it, and it, it bugs me for sure, is, well, I live in this type of community. I live in a super high-end community. I live in a rural community. I live in the safest town in the United States. I, I don't care. Human trafficking, commercial sex work, pimping, pandering, forced labor, that happens everywhere. And it doesn't matter. You know, it, I always like to say, uh, human trafficking knows no boundaries. It doesn't care about race, about age, about uh, what gender. religious beliefs. No gender. Gender. Boys, boys and the girls have been trafficked the same. A hundred percent. Sexual orientation, um, socioeconomic status, like you name it. The beast of human trafficking, it, it does not care. It'll sink its teeth into anybody. And you're a hundred percent right. Exploiters come in all shapes, sizes from different places and the same thing comes with uh, with victims. You can have male, female, different genders. It, it doesn't matter. It's a sad, I'll say, epidemic, really, that that affects all of us. So those those are some of the the things I, I like to try to debunk with folks uh, when you first start talking about human trafficking. Yeah, that's awesome. And thank you so much um, about clarifying the difference between smuggling and trafficking, because. I I have heard so many times people saying like, oh, you come from this country, they traffic you from this country. And another misconception I want to add to that, that um, people think that traffickers uh, prey on somebody that they don't know, but actually people have been trafficked by friends and family. So that's the saddest part. And that's what happened to me. I tell you a little bit about my story. And that's what I advocate for. And movie taking right away comes to my mind. And I actually use that as an example, because when I watch it, um, I was like, hmm, that's not what happened to me. And that's what people see. And that's what they expect. And that's a huge misconception. If we see like women or girls or boys shoved in the car with force and violence, right away, we have like red flag, light bulb, like, Something happened, let's call 911, let's call some trafficking hotline, Did somebody been kidnapped. But it's so subtle and so smooth how I went through the customs. I was on drugs. I agreed to anything they asked me to do. I don't know. I had no passport. They got me through it. I just willingly go through it because of the fear and the uh, different kind of like influence, like uh, manipulation or threats or stuff like that, you know. So I just submitted to anything like uh, they were asking me to do. So I didn't even know. I woke up hearing the Muslim prayer, Allahu Akbar, and I realized that I was in foreign country. That's how like it happened. So I always say red flag if the woman doesn't have a passport. Why woman has no passport? You should handle your own documents. Why she doesn't speak for herself? Why is she looking down or look kind of unsettled or paranoid? I was on heroin. I was on drugs. They probably carry me through a report. 
why wouldn't it be like red flag? So so many misconceptions and and they yeah they use like and control people with fear, isolation, and guilt and shame, and that's what happening most of the time. Well, you bring up a, a super good point. Uh, so I, I was just having a conversation on a podcast the other day about drugs specifically in human trafficking, right? And how human traffickers use drugs to control victims. And that I think is another uh, aspect of another misconception is that it is still believed by some that victims can choose to leave whenever they like. Like if, if I'm not, if I'm a human trafficking victim, and I'm not physically tied to something, there is a misconception out there, then well, well, why didn't they just leave? Now, you know, being a survivor, that list is long. There, there are many things that can bond you to that person. Fear, inability to, to be able to go anywhere, no resources. But that drugs is a huge one, right? Look, my life before them, I was like beaten and raped all the time. I had nowhere to go. Where are you going to go? You have no family. You're alone. And and I just submit to the fate that I was in. I'm like, okay, I guess this is my life, you know? And I was one of the lucky ones. And I'm so grateful that I have survived because the girls who were trafficked with me, they died. They went missing and never heard of it again. And it's so interesting how messed up was my mind is when I told this story for the first time, in 20 years, I was like crying for five hours to my friend because I literally thought I'm never going to speak of this again. I thought i am been safe. My sins are forgiven. I have this beautiful life, beautiful family, healthy children. Thanks God to everything that I have. And I honestly thought it's going to be in the past. But when I share my story, somebody called me survivor I thought there's shame, guilt, condemnation. That's why I hid this inside of me. I didn't want that people know who I really was. Mm -hmm. And then she loved me. And I was so blown away. And that's coming back when you talk about humility and I ask you what makes you successful. She literally loved me for who I am, saying stuff like, it's not your fault you're loved, you're okay, you know, and she said survivor, and I, I resisted and rejected that word, because in my mind, survivor, somebody went through war, or somebody um, survived from, I don't know, earthquake, or something like that, I'm this lowly person who did everything wrong, I was product of my environment, and I know I did really not have a choice, oh, well, I did, I could die, that was my other option. So I'm grateful that wasn't um, chosen option. And then I Google and it says survivor. It's the person who went through something where lots of people died. People die around me and I come out from it and I have healthy mind, healthy body, healthy relationship. I am survivor. So I start owning that. And then I ask, what can I do with that? And that's how all this platform, the book come up. Because I just want to help people and tell them that there is hope. There's people who are going to help you, who will take care of you, who will back you up. If you have a desire to come out in, there's hotlines and the police enforcement. There's so many amazing nonprofit organizations who talk about and uh, human trafficking and do and rescue and support. So I hope and pray you guys listening and 
if you have someone or you know of someone, please take action because you might save someone's life. But I want to share hope. And we will unpack three lessons that you would like to our listeners to take away, starting with the human trafficking real and happens everywhere. We talked a little bit about that. You said we must be aware, but not panic. Education is the key. Would you please elaborate on that? Yeah, that uh, saying is one that I like to use, uh, especially when talking to the community, right? I want folks to be aware. And, and stories like yours are, are so, they're, they're tragic, but amazing to hear because you are living proof that you can survive this. And uh, my hat's off to you. I, I'm, I'm so happy to see how awesome you're doing now. And, and folks are, are, are so lucky, uh, me included, to, to be able to hear your story and learn from it. So that, that's the biggest notion that I, I want to give to folks is we don't need to panic. There's not, there's not people being snatched off street corners um, every day, stuff like that. But we have to be aware. And the biggest thing, if I could give any lesson to parents out there, we better be watching our kids' social media period. For us, what I constantly see here in the Bay Area, in California, is recruitment through social media. And, you know, unfortunately, exploiters are drawn to the the game, the lifestyle, the money, the, the perceived clout. And so that's why, uh, and, you know, we, we talked about exploiters can be male or female. The majority we see are male. And so that's what a lot of these guys are, are drawn to is this lifestyle. And through that, they pick and choose usually young ladies that they can find on social media that they think they can talk into this game, right? Which we know is no game. It's a, it's a horrible way of, of life. So um, for, for the parents out there, we need to understand that human trafficking can happen everywhere. Uh, but while we need to be aware, we do not need to panic. That's awesome. Thank you. Can you give us few red flags? What to look for? Yeah. So I think a, uh, a couple of them were uh, you actually uh, mentioned before for sure. But um, let's let's take our you know there's no there's no typical human trafficking, no typical pimping case. There are always different factors, but. There are, when we peel the layers back on a lot of our victims, there, there are a lot of red flags that we see or, or things that um, were kind of indicative of, of potentially getting this life. Um, the first thing is, what is the home situation like that these young victims are coming from, right? Um, sadly, we see that a, a lot of victims come from uh, broken homes of some type. Um, you know, parents that aren't around or are working consistently, not being involved in their kids. Um, maybe there's some type of abuse going on, whether it's sexual abuse or verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, um, early, early drug and alcohol use, um, can be some things that, that add into that. And then I always tell parents to keep an eye for, for a change of behavior, right? And you know, all of these things, they, they can mean a, a number of different things your kid could be going through. It doesn't just mean they're out there, you know, doing prostitution or commercial sex work. 
but a lot of times we'll see with our, especially our young female population and that ends up involved in this, um, you'll see them start to be truant from school, starting to wear clothing that is, is much more revealing than what they were wearing before. Maybe they're coming home with a thousand dollar purse and you know, as mom and dad or sister, brother, aunt, uncle, that there's no way that this young girl should have a thousand dollar purse. Like, where did that come from? Um, is she kind of unwilling to talk about her new boyfriend? That can be a typical teenage thing, right? But when you couple it with, okay, now her behavior's changed. She's wearing different clothes. She's staying out late at night. Uh, these are all type of red flags. And then certainly you hit the nail on the head with what is it like interacting with that person, right? Do they, do they fail to look you in the eye? Do they steer away from certain topics of conversation? If a big one for police officers, right? We come in contact with folks involved in commercial sex work all the time during a traffic stop. So a vehicle will get stopped for, let's say, running a, a red light. And then the officers will see, you know, let's say it's a man and a woman and see some of these signs and symptoms. Well, as you start to kind of peel the layers back, how is that potential victim communicating with you in relation to kind of paying attention to what the guy's doing? Is she, is she kind of like looking at him for um, validation of what she should say? That's why you always try to separate, right? Um, so those are a few things, you know, definitely to look out for, um, you know, that we commonly see, especially here in the Bay Area. Another thing that I want a little bit more elaborate, we touch on that, that you say victims of human trafficking are vulnerable and linked to their exploiters via trauma bonds. And as society, we must understand that. And that's a big one. And we actually don't think from this perspective. What do you think about that? Can you elaborate a little bit how we can um, change that perspective from being like, or why she's still there, he's beating her or abusing, how can I help her like as a human being rather than treat them as the victim who doesn't take action to make changes, for example? Yeah, I think that that notion is is something we see in society all the time with domestic violence, with um, child abuse, and, and certainly with human trafficking is how, how can I, as a victim, how can I stay with that person? Why would I want to stay? Why would I uh, supposedly, quote unquote, choose to stay with this person that is exploiting me, that is using me to go out, have sex with people for money, and then take that money or go out and work 18 to 20 hours a day for little pay and, and bring that money back. And the, the true meaning and reason why is the trauma that has been inflicted on that person. I use sometimes the example of um, take any norm that you have in, in your household. And this is what I'll tell people. Maybe the norm uh, in your house is every Wednesday night, um, you and the family get on the couch and, and watch a movie together, right? Eat up some popcorn, sit on the couch, mom, dad, the kids, maybe grandma's there, whatever. That's your, that's your norm. That's your traditional Wednesday. You don't really know how to stop doing that norm, right? Because it's what is ingrained in your life. 
Now that's a positive type of norm. Well, now imagine that your upbringing or your normal Wednesday at home is getting beat or not having anything to eat because you're, you have a broken home um, or you're used to running away. You're used to being on the streets. Exploiters know that and recognize that in people. And when an exploiter brings in a new victim, most of the time, they will enshrine that victim. They will make them feel good. They will provide them things, a place to stay, food, shelter, comfort. If that victim is vulnerable in any way, meaning that that exploiter can pick up, you know what, this, this victim doesn't have a lot of people that love him and her. I'm going to be that person that comes across that way. And I'm going to attach myself to them. Well, now this victim who does not have somebody good in their life truly believes that this person is there for them. Hey, this, this, this person's going to love me, going to provide for me. Well, then things start to change when now it's okay. Well, if you want that love, you want that affection, you want that validation as a human being, you're going to go do this stuff here. And it's this cycle that goes back and forth. And that's why survivors like you and others that I've spoken to are so important in this conversation because that's what's happening, right? I I can say that. I've seen it. I've talked to people. uh, But you know just as well as anybody that, that that's the phenomenon that happens. And it's hard for somebody to understand why don't you just leave? But when that's all you know, when that when you have no other way to turn, it's very difficult to leave, and and I I think that that's really important for folks to know. That's amazing. Thank you so much. That was really good answer to this question. I honestly listening to you, I'm thinking, thanks God you saying this out loud because sometimes we don't even thinking about those things, and sometimes we judge too harshly and too fast, you know especially some substance abuse um, in the mix, you know, like, oh, she just the addict, all this, all that, you know, we just have to have more grace and trauma. More and more I'm learning about uh, myself and others about trauma. You don't have to even have domestic violence at home, but just be like not loved and they still going to prey on this and they still going to make you addicted to it. It's um, manipulation and psychological abuse can be as powerful as the physical abuse. Thank you so much for this answer. And I would like to ask you about this part. You said law enforcement in the United States has gotten better in understanding of human trafficking. And I see this because five years ago, when I started writing my book, I thought that I'm going to be alone, but then this Me Too movement swept. And then I see and more I got involved. Oh my goodness, people talking about human trafficking. Now the police is on the nonprofits. It's become more vocal. And I'm so grateful because for a long time, I feel like, I don't know, or we ignore this issue because it's always been there. Because mm-hmm. I hid this in my heart for 20 years. So it's been already there 20 years ago. So now it's more in the open and it's fantastic. But you're saying, actually, there's still work to be done. So can you please tell us a little bit more about the process, what you guys doing and what else can be done? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you bring it up perfectly that this isn't new. Human trafficking isn't new. 
forcing people into labor, forcing people into the sex trade. It's not new. It is simply that law enforcement as a whole did not understand it for what it is. The 80s, 90s, into the 2000s, we talked about prostitutes. We talked about holding prostitutes accountable, taking them to jail, prosecuting them, because the crime of prostitution, at least most places, does exist. It's the, it is the foundation of the criminality of human trafficking, right? So for years it was, well, we're going to stop this because we're going to hold these prostitutes accountable in the criminal justice system. That's because we were not clued in on that while there are some folks out there that do do prostitution completely on their own, they're not forced to, they have no exploiter, that does happen. But the vast majority of the time, that's not the case. It is people exploiting other people. And when we started to understand in law enforcement that that's where the root problem was, this is other people forcing, helping, assisting, coaching, encouraging people into commercial sex trade or labor. Once we understood that, I think that's when the pendulum started to change, right? It's not a prostitute. It's a victim or it's a commercial sex worker. It is not somebody that we want to go out and throw in handcuffs and put through the criminal justice system. We want to do everything we can to help them, to help them get through the process. And I think that was the key over the years. So for us in law enforcement now, the training has changed. And I think that that's most important. And that's what I am very passionate about is teaching law enforcement officers what human trafficking is, what to look for, how we should approach it how we should interact with victims, how we should interact. And this is a really key component I talked about earlier. There is not one single type of entity that can fight human trafficking alone. It cannot just be the cops. It cannot just be the victim advocates. It cannot just be the survivors. It cannot just be victim services. It has to be a village that does it together, right? And so teaching law enforcement about that, I I think is really important. Sorry, that statement actually make me cry because what a crazy misconception that actually the victim is responsible for everything and such a huge shift in mindset and seeing the problem. And now you have this humongous well-oiled machine that actually make this hideous crime thriving while these victims being in jail and be punished so seeing this amazing shift and hearing what you're saying, it just makes me really overwhelmed, you know? So I'm like, yeah. shitting this yeah, no, I... because it's a progress. And yeah, you're right, like we cannot do it, it alone. It is. And and so what, what do we still have to do? Because there's a lot, right? And I, I think one of the, the biggest things, so for, for law enforcement, and and this is where you know, I, I try to try to teach, preach, talk about human trafficking cases are not easy cases to work at all. And they can be very devastating. They can be very challenging. And a lot of times you as a police officer may find yourself in a situation where you really want to help somebody, right? You want to help that victim. You know, they're a victim, but that victim is not ready to be helped yet. And that's what, that's what cops have to realize. 
it's never going to be me that pulls somebody out of a human trafficking situation. It's never going to be a victim advocate that pulls somebody else out of a human trafficking situation. We can help provide the framework, provide the support, but that person has to make that decision that, okay, it's finally time. I have the people on my side. I'm ready to be uh, a different person and leave this behind. Um, So challenging police officers to not give up on these cases when sometimes it would be very easy to because that victim doesn't want help at first. It may not be the first try. It may be the second, third, fourth, tenth. But that is the next step is continuing education for law enforcement, building relationships with uh, all the other entities, and then just having that mindset of exhausting all options. We don't give up. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So what is, in your opinion, the best way we can fight human trafficking? Absolutely. So I think it needs to be everybody that does that. So for law enforcement, right, it's inherent in our everyday duties for victim advocates and service providers, survivors that are out telling their stories. It's all what we do on a daily basis. But if we really want to grab this thing by the horns, it has to be people in the community. So I think there's two big things. Number one, go get educated. And like you said, it is very easy to find a a plethora of great um, nonprofits and different organizations where you can literally go on their website and for an hour, you can spend time learning human trafficking 101, what to look for, what it looks like, what is it, what can I do? And the second thing is get educated and then get involved. Find your local shelter, your local family justice center, your local nonprofit, your local uh, any, any, any organization that focuses on human trafficking, helping victims, find that organization. They're always looking for volunteers. They're always looking for funding, hold, you know, hold a fundraiser at your church, at your, uh, with your kids' sports team, you know, with your company, raise funds for these organizations to do their work. So I, I think those two pieces, get educated and get involved are, are super, super clutch. Thank you so much. So would you be open to share some success stories or give us case example? Yeah, absolutely. So um, probably about two or three years ago, uh, began a a human trafficking case where uh, we ran across a a young victim, um, young girl in her, I think, 18, 19 years old. And when I first met her, our first interaction together was not good. (laughs) She was right in the middle of uh, being exploited by her, her pimp. Um, she was confrontational. She didn't want to identify as a victim. She had his tattoos on her. Uh, she was dressed in a, a very short dress and just uh, really did not grasp what, what we were trying to do, which was help her. And I recognized that. So I I did everything I could that particular day, got the best information, started investigating that I knew she she likely had an exploiter and and I knew who that person was. Well, about three or four days later, uh, that same exploiter ended up breaking into uh, her apartment where she had a new boyfriend that was not a pimp. And the exploiter ended up uh, pistol whipping the new boyfriend. 
and pointing a gun at, at both of them and, and just a real kind of bad incident. The exploiter was arrested for that. And when I found out about it, and this is kind of a, a tip that I give to law enforcement, when I found out about that incident, I knew that that could be the trigger that would allow her to, to tell me everything, right? So sure enough, I, I called her. It was at nighttime in the evening. And I said, hey, are you ready to tell me? And she said, yes, I am. And she came down and, and met with me for a couple hours and basically relayed how she had been uh, pimped all over the Bay Area by this person since she was um, 17. Uh, she talked about um, the tactics he would use, which were manipulation and physical abuse. And because I, I saw that opportunity of, of something that, where it had made her mind shift away from him, I was able to get that information from her. It wasn't all uh, puppy dogs and dandelions from there, though, right? So we put together the case, found other victims, a lot of good evidence, but victimology, right? She, she would teeter back and forth, teeter back and forth. Well, you know, does he really deserve that? Does he really deserve to go through the, the process of, of, you know, the courts and going to prison and everything? In my mind, I'm like, of course, like he, he beat women to go out and commit commercial sex acts. But for her, there were times that that she had that were good with him. Right. And so it's that teeter tottering back and forth, those trauma bonds that were difficult. Well, due to a lot of really good work by uh, a very dear friend, victim advocate uh, that works at the district attorney's office near us, she was able to truly help this young lady. And it was pretty much the coolest thing ever. Two things happened within the last two weeks. Uh, probably three or four weeks. Number one, uh, he was found guilty and, and sent to state prison. So um, there was that closure aspect of that. So that was huge. But then number two, nationwide every year, there's um, the crime victims week in the United States. So it's essentially designed to recognize victims of crime and how uh, they get through what they've gone through to recognize their courage and such. So we had an event over at the district attorney's office um, where I'm super humble and appreciative. Um, I was recognized for my work with human trafficking victims. That same victim advocate was recognized. And then the best part, the survivor, she was recognized for her courage. She is out of the life now. She is working. She has made it through it. And just to see where I saw this young girl two, three years ago, that wanted nothing to do with me. And now she's off doing her thing and, and doing great. Um, it, it gets no better than that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And actually I have in my notes to congratulate you on this event, because that's what I saw and learned and read about you. And that's how we got connected. I'm grateful for everything you do for your community and the world is there another most like memorable moment of your career so far? Is there anything else you want to share that really? Yeah, helps? let me let me roll back the the kind of Rolodex here a little bit. Um, some I, I there is um, another another success story, but I I want to point out a mistake that I made through that because I hopefully uh, folks can learn through this and kind of understand where a, a victim's mentality might be. So I had another case. Uh, this case started um, just like a, a police 
patrol call for service uh, where somebody thought that uh, it was either a roommate or a friend might have been pimped out by a, a guy she met online. So once we finally start going through the case and interviewing this potential victim, what I learn is she was going through a hard time. Again, vulnerability, right? She was going through money issues. She was looking for somebody to kind of grasp onto, to show her affection, show her attention. And she ended up connecting online over Instagram with a guy that she went to high school with. And she was only probably three or four years out of high school. And why, why this is interesting is two points to this. Number one, that they reconnected over social media. And that's huge, right? We have to monitor social media. But number two, the guy that she reconnected with actually, from all I could tell, was a, a really good guy prior to this incident. He was a prom king. He was a high school athlete, um, seemed like an all-around pretty, pretty good guy, um, was working at the time that all this happened, but again, was attracted to the fast money, the lifestyle, and thought that it was a, a good way to make some money by taking this girl uh, from our city to Oakland, California, have her go out on the blade, do dates, and, and so on and so forth. Well, in interviewing her, she, she would relate her story. And, you know, one of the biggest things is I always want all the backstory and information. I don't judge at all. The criminal justice system does not judge anymore about, about what that victim's been through. If, if a victim's been through commercial sex in the past, if she's had other exploiters, I, I want to know about that. I want to know kind of what has led down this path. Well, I noticed as I was talking to her that she was a little bit vague on how some of uh, her phone calls had got deleted. It didn't really make sense. The time frames she had said that he had deleted them, but then I had information that they were deleted after they were together. And I, I just really wasn't sure uh, what that was, but I kind of brushed it to the side, right? Because I was, I was really believing everything this victim was saying. So about a week after that initial statement, she calls me back and she says, Hey, can I come talk to you? And I said, okay. And I could tell by that tone of voice, right? It's, it was like that, um, you know, a kid telling their, their parents, like, ah, I got something to tell you. I didn't, I didn't tell you everything kind of thing. So I had her come and, and she said, Hey, I, I wasn't truthful about a few things. And I said, okay, please, please tell me. And she told me that in fact, when she started talking to this guy online, they had actually started talking about conducting commercial sex work at that time as opposed to what she told me originally was that this guy just picked her up. Right. And, and they went right to it. She said that she had worn something specifically for this. And the thing was, she didn't tell me all this originally, even though I was open and like, you are not in any trouble. She didn't tell me this because she was worried that she was somehow culpable. But what she didn't realize is although she may have engaged in the idea of going out and doing commercial sex work, once this guy picked her up, with another guy, drove her super fast to these areas of prostitution, told her this was what she was going to do. Don't talk to anybody else. And then there was another uh, kind of horrific abuse portion to that. It wasn't her choice anymore. It wasn't, it, it didn't matter what they had talked about on Instagram or that she had gone into the situation knowing she was going to do that. So once I kind of peeled the layers back on that and realized that, you know what, I, I now had a better understanding, right, of how victims, because sometimes it'll be the truth, sometimes it won't be, but there was a reason why she had lied. And I was able to explain that in the court process and all that. Well, as a result, 
uh, we ended up uh, arresting that that exploiter um, and he was held accountable. And, and that victim actually uh, read a, a victim impact statement at at the uh, court sentencing. And um, I, I just learned it was a great success story. She's doing great now. I, I'll check on her. And that's one thing I like to do. I, I go back and check on on victims. Um, you know, if I can get a hold of them and just say, hey, it's me. I, I hope you're doing great. And I have checked on her and she's doing well. That's awesome. Thank you so much for telling us this story. Honestly, it's eye-opener. It's never going to be easy where the fear involved. Plus, we don't know all the rules and regulation of the police state or anything like that. We feel that we committed a crime because it feels wrong, you know. So it's very hard to be just honest and open and uh, jump right away and um and get help. I think that's why sometimes people don't just get help because they think that they're going to get consequences, which is like previously that's what they would get. But now you guys hear this. It changed. Okay. So be bold and courageous. If you want to come out, please call the human trafficking hotline or how people can find more about you and your work and connect with you somehow or would you be open yeah, to that or yeah absolutely so uh maybe when you um when you go and post this uh certainly feel free to post you know a link to my linkedin and i'll, I'll give you my email but i'm i'm here as a resource and i'm here as a resource for police officers for victim advocates for prosecutors for survivors for um, nonprofits, for community members, it doesn't matter. If you want to talk about human trafficking, if you could use a, a law enforcement perspective, um, teaching, training, uh, all, all that kind of stuff, I, I'm, I'm your resource. And, you know, like I said, I, I really, I view my kind of mission moving forward as being one of the, the links that, that helps link everybody together to help this, right? Cops are easy in the sense that, you know, we, this is our job. We know how to do it. We, we can be better at it. Right. And that's through the training and the education, but sometimes police officers have to learn how to work with others better. And, and that's really what I want to do uh, both local state national level is, is really find ways to connect with survivors and advocates and prosecutors and organizations on how we can just better spread the message, how we can better train law enforcement and how we can better train the community and educate them on what human trafficking is. So for sure, find me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message and I'll love to uh, love to get together. That's awesome. And you're amazing at what you do because you brought so much clarity and something new that I didn't even know. I hope you guys got so much value. And because I'm a connector as well, and I know a few organizations and people who I've been working previously, I already think who are going to be great connection to you that will benefit like you both. You know, I like to put people in organization together that uh, can create the ripple effect in the world. You're going to be really fantastic. I already have some ideas. But before I let you go, Kyle, I would like to ask you my signature question. What does love and to be loved means to you? I think to love and be loved means for me, at least especially in the world that I'm in, right? Uh, law enforcement and uh, human trafficking, we're all humans, okay? And we all come from different backgrounds. We come from different experiences, different belief systems. 
all, all kinds of just different. And I think that word different is so important. And so for me, I always, especially with human trafficking victims, I, I, I want them to know that they are loved, right? They are cherished. And we as law enforcement are, are there to help them. And, you know, for me, uh, the reciprocation of be loved, um, that comes out when people, uh, when like the success stories that I talked about, right? When I see that the, the love, the blood, the sweat and tears that I put into these cases to now watch uh, these survivors out there just kicking butt in life, like that to me is all the love that I need in return. So that's a great question. And, and that's my take on it. That's fantastic. Any final thoughts, Kyle? No, I, I just, again, Lena, I want to thank you so much. Uh, I've had a, an awesome time with you today. And, uh, you know, I, I truly cherish uh, everything you have to share and everything that you've taught me today. And uh, if you ever need anything, you know where to find me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle, for being our guest. You're provided so much insight. And we really appreciate you sharing with us today. And guys, our special guest is Kyle Baker. Kyle is police surgeon. Is that how you pronounce? Because yes, I was trying with my with my Russian. Is that how you say it? That's no, that's perfect. Awesome, thank you. In California, who specializes in human trafficking investigations. He's a member of Human Trafficking Task Force, a court-certified expert, and teaches human trafficking topics to police officers, prosecutors, victims, advocates, and community groups around the state of California. We defined human trafficking and debunk a few common myths about it. Kyle shared how law enforcement respond to this crime. And Kyle believes that the best way to fight human trafficking is through a collaborative approach. He shared success stories and gave some case examples. And I'm so privileged and honored to interview this amazing person who is a hero in my books. And again, don't hesitate to reach out to Kyle. I will post links to everything that was mentioned in this episode. And guys, stay tuned for another edition of Love and Beloved. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Kyle. I'm so grateful for you and your time. Thank you, Lena. And remember, you are never alone. You are loved. You are God's treasure, precious and priceless to Him. Thank you for listening to Love and Be Loved. If you have any questions about what you heard today, visit lovedandbeloved.com. It's love and the letter B with no E, loved.com. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and share the show. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you'd like to connect, we would love to hear from you. So send a quick note to lenasabula at gmail.com. Stay healthy, stay safe, love, and be loved.